the 27th. Yeah. And I don't have a meeting on Friday, so we can drive together. When you get out of school, stay at your parents' place and sweep, then come back right after. That's great. I'm hoping we have an actual snow day coming up right before Easter. That would be great. Oh, like a snow makeup day? Yeah, but we I know we missed two days. First one was up there. No school. I think that's, that was the first one. And we do have school. I bet this is a makeup day as well. On Good Friday. Hmm. Four clubs left. That's, That's it? That's it. They don't go into May? No. Huh. I think because it's mainly put on by college students. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. The school year will still be going on, but the college classes will be mm -hmm. wrapped up. I was going to read first Peter real quick just to refresh. Was it? It's four, right? Five. It's five. Yeah. Starting in verse Type of progression. I'm just gonna talk about it. <laughs> sure, that's fine. <laughs> Something that I wanted to get to my message and I just didn't have time for was um, things that um, help us stay humbled and and uh, help us stay humbled, like recognizing our real identity, which that's recognizing the who God is and who we are in relation to him. And, um, that when we do those things, it helps us remember who we are, who God is, we'll be less anxious. So, um, spending time in God's word, humbling ourselves and giving it authority in our lives 
spending time in worship, that's giving him praise and lifting him up. And so that's putting him in the place that he's supposed to be in our hearts and minds. And then um, spending time in Christian community helps us remember that we're a part of this family. And like that's what Peter was really trying to drive home, um, that you're a part of this, God's people. And though you've been separated from your tribe or your family or whatever, you're a part of this new family. And so spending time with that family. So those three things, the more we do them, I think the less anxious we'll feel. The more peace, more established. But those things that he ends chapter 5 with, um, we'll feel those, experience those when we do those things. So. Trying to remember the name. What was your sermon where you talked about, like it was counterintuitively pride that keeps mm-hmm. us up? Yeah, that was the didn't see it coming on insecurity. Insecurity, there you go. Mm-hmm. I feel like this runs kind of in yeah. the same way. Very similar. Is a lot of focus on yourself and the way to overcome it is a lot of focus on God and others. Right. Right. Yeah. So you would think, I need to really focus on me in order to like make all these other things right in, mm-hmm. in life. But really, it comes from not focusing on yourself, but focusing on letting those things that God has given you, the, the blessings in life, point point you towards God. And then letting those relationships that God's given you really benefit. Or you you have to be other centered. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a focus shift from you. Even though you're trying to correct yourself, you you only do that by not focusing on yourself. Right. I mean in first Peter five five, I don't know that I I mentioned that um, verse in that insecurity sermon or just mentioned like God gives grace to the humble. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like we kind of jumped from there. That's kind of where we started from yesterday with the anxiety sermon. So. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned kind of along the same lines as a lot of these other topics that we've been considering um, I think it's just something that you hear about and uh, basically it's it's very prevalent but everybody has always known it they've just known it by different terms kind of or mm-hmm. um, they've thought about it in a different way than in a like kind of clinical way right um, but you you started off by talking about how many were affected um, and how, how it's kind of on the rise with younger people. And I felt like that was kind of shocking. Um, and you know, you can, you can hear people just audibly shocked. Right. <laughs> Which is funny. That's every time you throw out a statistic, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, um, I think that, Everybody knows someone that deals with this and they feel like, yeah, this is talked about more. And I think sometimes it can, it's okay. We, it's got a new label and that's like the new label, you know, I think, um, ADHD was like that term for a while. That was like the big thing that every kid was getting diagnosed as, Mm -hmm. 
Um, but when when you see the stats, like we shared, like there's a 17% increase in pediatric diagnoses of anxiety disorders. And that, okay, this isn't just something that's been talked a lot about in the media. This is something that's happening in doctors' offices and with psychiatrists and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And from what you said yesterday, you said the, that you would define anxiety as fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the uncertain. Or the uncertain. Mm-hmm. So when we're we can't when we don't know can't know how things are going to turn out mm-hmm. how something's going to happen um, that's it's a phobia of the unknown a fear of you know a general unknown yeah um on a separate note we sang the song uh rest in you and it's it's kind of pulled from that quote by augustine mm-hmm um, and he experiences a lot of fear and self-doubt um, in his journey to faith, which he, he like confesses all the way from the time he was a baby, <laughs> the things that he's done wrong. But he, he talks about like going into some guy's pear tree with a bunch of friends and he ate the guy's pears and like, um, you know, as a, as a young boy um, and goes, goes through... Um, like all of all of his sins, like leading up through life and uh, his confidence in his intellect and, and then how he, he felt like that wasn't really going to um, lead to amount to anything. It didn't mean anything in life if, if his aim was to be happy. Um, and it, it really bred insecurity. And then he he really came to the understanding that the unchanging... Um, was where you saw God, uh, the things that are, are stable in the world, the things that are, um, they never change. Um, and his, for him, it was, his mom was like this, this constant, um, person who was praying for him and like this constant image of God before him. Uh, and so through all the uncertainty, through all of his phases of trying to go into, to various, um, vocations or even joined a cult for a while um and just all these different things his mom is praying for him this whole time praying that he comes to know god um and it's it's that stability in that stability like she's she becomes kind of this example of how you see god in the world and and the the things that are unchanging and the things that are unchanging are the eternal um Mm -hmm. and point us toward god right and the song that we sang, kind of like the the ending tag is, you cannot change, yet you change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a great comfort in that, that he is unchanging, that God is eternal. Um, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, that's very comforting. But we all know that there are plenty of Christians who know God um, and deal with anxiety. It's a, a real thing. So it's not it's not just like a thing where you you know Jesus and then you never deal with it again. So um, what are the practical steps that we can take 
um, to put the hope of like an eternal hope, something stable that we can, we can trust in to where these situations in life aren't uh, filled with uncertainty and something to worry about um, constantly mm-hmm. uh, to, in short, to deal with anxiety. Right. You know, it's interesting when I was prepping for this message, I listened to a couple of talks by, you know, different people. Like one was a TED talk and it was basically like the way they get over anxiety is just like embrace fear, like embrace that, the world is ever changing. Like I, the, the one guy talked about how there's so much we've learned about physics and all this stuff that basically life is this sea of possibilities. And he gives this example of a woman who was dealing with anxiety and he told her to imagine life um, as a river and she needed to get across this river and so she's crossing it, and he says, where are you at? And she says, I found a, a boulder in the middle that I've grasped onto. And so basically, like, she's in the middle of the current. She's, like, grasping onto this boulder. And he's like, well, why are you holding onto that? And she says, because the river bends, and I can't see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And this is all, like, it was super interesting. This is, like, a whole hypothetical exercise he's taking with this, parent, this patient of his. And his advice to her was, let go of the boulder, because life is this, un, you know, this... That has all these uh, infinite possibilities and you need to experience them. And, and to me, listening to this, it's like, how is that helpful for someone who struggles with anxiety? Let go of the boulder. Like, that just seemed like really bad advice in that analogy. You know, like if you're in a, a raging river, you t- if you find something to hold on to, you should hold on to it. Um, so for us, I think it's, there is much about life that we can't control and we can't know, but we should hold on to the things that we do know and be reminded of the things that are constant and true. And the ways that we do that is we submit ourselves, and and this passage talks about humbling ourselves. We submit ourselves to Scripture, truth of God's Word, uh, reading it, having it in our lives. Uh, We submit to spending time in worship. And it is interesting that... um, if you if you look at there there are a lot of preachers that have talked about anxiety and kind of a consistent theme is that like one of the best antidotes to anxiety is worship, spending time in worship. It's just you're, it's just you're basically just talking about how good God is. You're singing about how good you're reminding yourself and you're talking about how good God is, mm-hmm. and so it's it's helping you recognize that while life is uncertain and you're powerless in many situations that God is certain and he's powerful um, so that's important and then community is huge and Peter really drives home this idea that the, the Christians he's writing to have been born into a new family and they're connected to this long narrative of what God had done for his people that they have that identity even though they've lost identity with others so I think those are practical steps um Submitting ourselves to the authority of scripture, spending time in worship, um, building strong relationships with our Christian community, people who share that same new identity with us. Those will help us hold on to those things that are are certain and never change in him. Yeah. Augustine would almost like in that if he were counseling this this patient, 
it would be like, now the rock is like this taste of something bigger. And like, it's pointing you towards, um, towards God. And you need to continue finding these, these unchanging parts of life. And that's what, that's what, for Augustine, that's what he did. He found these unchanging parts of life, uh, these constants, and he saw these as eternal aspects, love, familial love, um, kind of Romans 1, the, the things of God uh, were, were made to, known to them, namely his eternal power and, or his divine power and eternal nature, right? So those things are, are made known to us and just in general in the world. And he was like, I could see those things. And then through the constant witness mm. of his mother, it pointed him towards God. Right. And he, he also had scripture revealed to him through his mother and through eventually uh, seeking out a pastor who led him to Jesus. But he clung to the unchanging. Right. Um, having confidence in something. Um, let's see. Oh, well, um, man, I need to pull up the passage real quick. Yeah, so the passage says that you can rest firm in your faith, knowing that there are a lot of other people suffering as well. Um, but then also ultimately knowing that Christ will restore this world. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's the ultimate hope. That's the certainty that we have, um, of the future, no matter what circumstance we're in in life, we, we have this confidence of the hope of Christ. Um, and we, we know that not only are the, the uncertainty that we deal with now, we know that Jesus was, a, a human just like us in every way in the garden he's praying in a time of complete uncertainty um he he's praying let this cup pass from me but if it be your will then let's let this happen you know but he's he's submitting to god trusting him and that god knows what's best um but he's uncertain um but then so we have this amazing truth that Jesus has experienced the same things that we go through. Mm -hmm. and so we can identify with Christ and everything, knowing that he has suffered for us and with us. Um, but then the hope that he'll return and, and make all things new. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a beautiful truth to have like un unwavering confidence in. Um, and I, I just finished reading um, it's called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. And it's really just a bunch of stories about people who um, followed Jesus in places of persecution. And they're in prison. And the things that they clung to is, like you said, uh, worship. They, they would go to prison and be in horrible, not like prison conditions like here in the U.S., but places where the guards are torturing them um, daily and trying to get them to recant their faith. Uh, and 
the thing that they clung to was being able to sing. And, you know, it didn't matter how much they beat them, they could still sing. And they had these songs of worship and praise to God that continually took their their mind and their eyes off of their own situation and off of the uncertainty of tomorrow mm-hmm. and toward the eternal hope of God. Right. And then in doing that, they often ended up, it, it ended up being an amazing opportunity to witness um, for Jesus right. in the prisons. Right. And I see, we see that with Paul. I think we see that um, in the persecuted church. We see that I've been listening to Bonhoeffer, who's this World War II um, theologian in Germany. And he was standing up for Christians who were obviously being persecuted under Hitler. Hitler wanted a very supportive government church. Nationalistic church. Yes, yes. And so a lot of pastors caved and Bonhoeffer said, you know, if, if I need to... I, this is the reason I'm here, and if I need to die for this, then that's okay. But his his hope was firmly placed in Christ, and he was going to be faithful to living out the way of Jesus um, and caring for those who are... He, he was in German. He Like, if he wanted to, he had an easy out. Like, he was in Berlin, teaching at Berlin University, um, very intelligent, a part of the upper ranks of life in Germany. But he instead identified with the plight of uh, his brother-in-law, who is Jewish. Um, and he, he took part in this plot to harbor Jews, to, to get them out into neutral countries and to, to lead them to safety. And that ultimately left to, led him to his death. And the doctor who watched him... Um, die who was a part of killing him um because of his treason against germany uh watched him pray and said he had never seen somebody pray like like bonhoeffer and with complete confidence that god he was doing god's will mm-hmm. even in this all the way to death right and his confidence he his confidence was unwavering in god and he he wasn't focused on a situation and the uncertainty of tomorrow because he he knew that he was doing what Jesus wanted, and that one day Jesus will make all things new. Right. Yeah, at the same time, Viktor Frankl is in a concentration camp, and he recognizes that no matter what the guards do to him, they can't take his spirit. Like, that is not in their control. Yeah. And so um, he realizes that no matter what they do, he can still have purpose and meaning and joy. And when, when you have something that solid to cling on to, you don't have to worry about the unknown or the uncertain. You don't have to be anxious over it because you have something more substantial to, to hold on to. And so for Bonhoeffer, I'm sure that a lot of the pastors who caved to the pressure that Hitler and the Third Reich put on them, their thinking was, we have to do this because if we don't, there's no telling what could happen. Mm-hmm. And um, Bonhoeffer wasn't worried about that. You know. Yeah. And it, it always came back to like a comp. They, they weren't focused on their present circumstances ever. I mean, they were, they were 
looking at how to work the situations that they were in and how to best deal with them, but their, their hope was firmly fixed far ahead of today or of next week, mm -hmm. but on an eternal hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you read Eric Bentaxis's biography of Bonhoeffer? That's what I'm... I've listened to the audiobook and I'm re-listening to it right now. I saw not too long ago that some people have some problems with it. Really? And I, I didn't really understand. I, I think more really they just have problems with my taxes. And, 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 and honestly, I, I do look... I'm like, how does the same guy who wrote <laughs> this biography I, I support get, Trump? Sure. Yeah. And you about the time he spoke at D6? No. So that was like a big deal that they had. Eric Metaxas is yeah. going to speak at D6. And he said something profane in like the first three minutes of his talk. And what? Like, yes. Like, I don't know if he said ass or something, but he said something along those lines. <laughs> And just like oh, Charles no. Cook was there and he just said like the air just like went out of the room. Like it just like he, he totally did not read the room, you know, like the, the group that he was with or whatever. Right. And then after that, like he could <laughs> he, couldn't regain. he could never regain. Oh my word. Yeah. Yeah, it it is incredible. And I, I remember thinking that whenever Trump was getting elected and thinking about all the parallels and re-listening to it, I'm just like, man, he is so on point, like, in this book. <laughs> I don't get this. <laughs> and he, like, understands Bonhoeffer's theology mm -hmm. so well and how he wouldn't... Yeah, he he was so against patriot patriotism. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember looking at McTaxis' Twitter feed one time and be like, how is this the same person that wrote this book? It doesn't... It's gotta be a power thing. Yeah. It's like, he's probably, do you think that he's probably like one of the select few um, most powerful under like the Trump administration or like has, wields the most influence for Trump in evangelical Christianity? I'm sure Liberty's president's Fall well would super be number there, one. Right? By the way, did you see Liberty had Jordan Peterson they had Jordan Peterson for something, some kind of convocation. Wow. And up on stage is, is Jerry Falwell, Jordan Peterson, and some other guy that I did not recognize, but he like some kind of dean or something there. And a person ran on the stage. It was like mentally ill. Person ran up on the stage and, and like they were like, you can't. And he's like, I need help. I'm unwell. I, I need to talk to Jordan Peterson. I need to know him. I, I need his help. And so they, like, prayed for him. And then some people ushered him off or whatever. Super weird. Wow. Yeah. And then they, like, went on having their panel discussion. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm surprised they would have Jordan Peterson. They've had, they've had a lot of people that it's like... I mean, they had Trump. Yeah, so. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Trump come speak about 2 Corinthians. <laughs> I really like that verse in 2 Corinthians. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're not from England. You can't do that. 
that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't kept up with that. Yeah, the Tactus. Crazy. Bonhoeffer's the man, though. I do find it... I feel like I can read books pretty fast most of the time. But it, I And I know that this isn't even one of his like academic writings, but just the, the pastor of discipleship is like, it's been a slow read. Super dense. Yeah, it's a very slow read. It's pretty crazy too that he came over to New York and was able to like see liberalism, mm-hmm. you know, and just be like, no thanks. Mm-hmm. With yeah. what's his name? It was like the poster boy for uh, Protestant liberalism. Yeah. Fosdick. Fosdick, Henry Fosdick, you know. Yep. I bought a book by Karl Barth. I'm going to read a little bit more about him. It sounds like... Because, like, Bonhoeffer isn't... He's not a... Calvinist really he's definitely not an Arminian I think he's a Bardian mm. Eugene Peterson's a big Bart fan I think right pretty sure uh, I hope I'm not mixing that up but I'm pretty sure because he talks a lot I think pretty sure he goes about it quite a bit I think his theology has been really misunderstood Bart's because I feel like anytime I've ever heard Bart they're like a negative connotation. Yeah, it's just like, oh yeah, that guy was a universalist. And like that's how you sum up. And just wrote him off. You know, fifteen books that he's written or whatever. Universalist. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think he's like, just a, everybody's going the same way. I think it's a misunderstanding. Do you think that twenty five years from now somebody will say the same thing about Rob Bell? <laughs> 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 right. His are. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Apple and B pokes fun at him pretty often. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That he's misunderstood, you mean? No, like, no, the same like, thing about him? No, like... Oh, that he was just universalist? Rob Bell publishes new book, just 257 pages of question marks. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I read this. Keith sent me a podcast of... Somebody who wrote a book on Bart's theology, and it's called Simul Sanctification. And it was all about um, how we are sanctified in our sins. So, we are, we are redeemed, um, we're justified, but we're in our sins. And he said that, like, this understanding of sanctification makes it it does does away with the whole either I'm not saved because I sinned or I'm no longer saved because I sinned mm. mentality that that's that's his understanding of like why this would be really important um and he worked for young life for like 15 years was on staff and then they they released like these non-negotiables um kind of a confession of sorts for young life and one of them had something to do with like some kind of ecumenical affirmation of Calvinism type thing 
And he was like, yeah, I can't sign off on this. And they're like, we can't have you on Young Life staff. Really? Young Life took a hard stance on Calvinism? I forget what the exact statement was. Hmm. But, um, yeah, it was surprising. So he, he left after all that time. And, uh, no, it had something to do with total depravity, actually. Because he felt like um, the definition given for depravity in the non-negotiables left um, the mentally handicapped damned in their sins. Mm. And he felt like the Bardian understanding of sin, the nature of sin, and our relationship to sin had a better understanding and, and allowed for um, the mentally handicapped mm. to be saved. So that was his main his main point, and I guess he talked about it, and they were like, yeah, we, they're non-negotiables, like we... <laughs> <laughs> really or not. <laughs> we don't if neg- we negotiate them, they're not really non-negotiable. Right. Uh, yeah, so... We talked, we listened to that podcast, and then I read that article about him leaving in life, and I was like, this seems like a really interesting issue. Hmm. So, he's got like a short book that I, he wrote like 14 books on dogmatics, um, like 14 volume work on dogmatics, and he has a book that's really short, that's called Intro, or Dogmatics Introduction, or something like that, <laughs> and I think it's like, everybody said it's like a summary Mm-hmm. Of what he read, or wrote in fourteen, 14 books. Volumes. <laughs> yeah, but he, the young life guy, said like a Bardian theology does the best job of um, giving a theological base for loving people where they are. Because he said, um, "You truly believe that Jesus has." paid the sin debt for them in the state that they currently are. And they simply need to, to give their allegiance to Christ. So we can, we can truly love those in their sins with Christ because they, they are redeemed. So like, it, whereas in the Calvinist sense, you're totally depraved. You're um, mm-hmm. against Christ. You're not right. atoned for. <sighs> Which obviously in the reforms are many incense as well. So I don't fully understand it. Because it, he, he holds that everyone has been fully atoned for, but there are those who choose hell. Almost like a, sounds like a Lewis type thing. Mm-hmm. Like those who are right. damned choose hell for themselves. Right. Yeah, when God sends someone to hell, he's just finally giving them what they want. Yeah, there are those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that seemed to be the Bardian understanding of, which I'm sure is scratching the surface. But, yeah, seems interesting. And, oh, yeah, and the reason, I think the bigger reason why we got it is because we feel like Tim Mackey is probably a Bardian. And that's like, because we've talked about, like, man, he doesn't fit in any boxes. He has, like, different terminology. And Bart was, like, big on everything being Jesus-centered and 
everything in the scriptures pointing to Jesus and everything um, in salvation is about Jesus and this type of thing. So, hmm. uh, sounds like he couldn't be a Bardian uh, as far as like putting him in a system, you know. Right. Speaking of people who don't really fit in a system, I've been thinking about what you said 